You know what all those sounds were caused by? Air. It was all air. The air that we breathe, that was all air. Can you recognize any of them? Some were what? Hot air balloon, good. Respirator, heavy breathing as you're jogging. That wasn't me, but. The last were birds flapping. A hummingbird was the last one. Of it. To the wind chimes, everything caused by air, okay? The air that we breathe, okay? And I'm gonna share with you on how the Holy Spirit works in and through our life with that. We ended with, this is the air I breathe, right? And we went into all these incredible sound effects of air. And basically, what we do through life is we inhale and we exhale and we inhale and we exhale and we inhale and we exhale and we inhale and we exhale. This is the air I breathe, your holy presence living in me. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you take uh, your words in and through me and speak loudly to me. Change my heart. Speak loudly to these women. Change their hearts, Lord. May, may they hear from you because my words are not life-changing, but yours are. May we sit on each one of them and hear your voice. We expect to be changed before you in and through you, Lord, this very night. And we give you full sway. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever stopped to consider how wonderfully powerful air is? I mean, just all those, you know, at first you're like, I don't know what this is. Oh, I know what that is. Oh, I wonder what that is. And I could just feel, you know, oh, what is this? What is this? What is this? And what happens is it's common everyday air that makes it possible for what? Huge airplanes carrying all kinds of passengers, tons of cargo to fly what? 30,000 feet up in the air. It's air that allows that. Okay, it's air that in pressurized ballast tanks in submarines, okay, allows huge nuclear submarines to go to the very depth of the oceans and then come up when they want to and wherever they want to. It's air. When it's given enough velocity, it will do devastating things. Did you hear the one that was tornadic? Did you hear that devastating things? Do you remember the one uh, in Old World, Wisconsin, when the tornado came through? The wind, uh, we went and we cleaned up a lot of that mess with our church. And I'm telling you that it was amazing. It was, it was basically like a giant saw had cut thousands and thousands of trees perfectly about three feet up from the ground, about a hundred feet wide. It's amazing. Air did that. Air did that. You know, did you know that if you take air and you contain it in a bunch of networks of, a network, I should say, of hoses and valves and put it under enough pressure, what it does, it brings our autos to stop. It brings locomotives to stop. It brings huge semi-trucks to stop. Air pressure breaks, right? Did you know that air, if it's pushed through the right tools, air will break concrete? Air will break concrete. Think about it. All that incredible power in air, everyday air. And, and you know what? We don't feel it, okay? We don't see it. We don't smell it. 
unless you just got back like we did from um, Uncle Bill's hog farm, then you smell it, okay? But it's air. It is always, we can't hold it in our hands. We can't, you know, but what it is, is it keeps us alive every single minute. Our sweet Mary, uh, who comes to BSL on Wednesdays, um, she has oxygen to be even able to breathe. That air keeps her living, the outside oxygen does. Janet Byrne, who's involved too, she just had a double lung transplant. Okay, what an amazing, amazing miracle. She's breathing now through someone else's lungs, right? Air, the air that I breathe, right? You can't hold it in your hands. We can't live, though, without air. When we fly, when we apply our brakes, when a mechanic is working on a car, we think nothing of it. But it's amazing stuff, air is. It's amazing. And just because, listen carefully, just because something is invisible does not mean that it's unimportant or it's not powerful. Just because it's invisible doesn't mean that it's unimportant or that it's weak. And I think grasping that principle is going to go a long ways in our weekend as we share about the Holy Spirit, to understand him, to recognize the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is a gift. And one of the most common words used for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament is word for air. In the Old Testament, it's a, it's a Hebrew word set, ruach, R-U-A-C-H, ruach. That's the Holy Spirit used word in the Hebrew, for air. In the New Testament, it's pneuma, which we get our word pneumatic from, our English word pneumatic from. And tonight, I want you to understand that even though he's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, even though he's invisible, he is certainly not impotent. He is absolutely necessary for you to be a Christian, for me to be a Christian. He is vital as air is to our life. He is just as vital to our Christian life. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to John 14. I'll wait for you for a minute. John 14, beginning at, at verse 16. Tonight we're going to look uh, at, have our Word of God, as well as we're going to be going through some PowerPoint stuff uh, so that you, we're going to be all over the Word of God so you're able to see it and not have to be continually delving in, okay? So those are be on PowerPoint as well. So if you're at John 14, I want to start at 16, and I'll give you just a little background. Jesus is speaking to his disciples late one night towards the end of the first Holy Week, okay? So let's get the context, right? Here it is. And Jesus is speaking, and he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you in me, and I am in you. Now skip to 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you 
to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm not going away. I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Okay, at this time, Jesus and his disciples were in a second-story flat in Jerusalem. Okay, let's look at the context of this. And it's called the upper room. And there were 11 disciples with him. Judas had already been dismissed. Now, try to put yourselves in the disciples' shoes. Okay, I always like to go back to what the context is. And I want you to be able to visualize this, all right? So you can understand how they felt when Jesus was speaking to them. Okay, remember, three years earlier, these guys, like, had no life, okay? They had nothing but pretty much a treadmill existence. And then what happens, you know, the teacher comes along. Jesus of Nazareth comes along. One day, their dull lives were absolutely interrupted, and it stopped, and this teacher comes along, and then nothing ever was the same. Nothing again was ever the same. And so for three years, they were captivated by him. They walked with him. This is the man who spoke into them. This is the man who healed people, who healed the blind, who healed the lame, who raised people from the dead, who calmed the sea, who walked on water. This is Jesus. And because of this, they arranged their entire lives around Jesus the teacher, around one thing, being with Jesus. He's the one that gave their lives purpose. He's the one that gave their lives meaning. He filled the emptiness in them all, the disciples. But now Jesus is telling him, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And that now he, their beloved teacher, will soon will be gone. And you have to understand that all of a sudden they realize that Jesus is serious about this. And they begin to panic. And what happens is, you know, they thought things like, you know, I'm never going to hear this voice speaking to me again. I'm never going to see those miracles happen again. I will never see those hands perform another miracle. And they begin to panic. And when they panicked, Jesus wonderfully didn't say, get over it. He comforted them with these words. He said, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He says, I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you another helper. And he says, and he will even be more helpful than I am. Okay, are you following me? Jesus is sharing, okay, this other helper is going to be more helpful than I am. And see, he's not just going to be at your side like I am. He's going to be in you. He's going to be in you. He's going to be within you. Now, do you understand exactly what Jesus was saying here? Okay, because... Our Lord was trying to make the first disciples understand and realize that this helper that he is going to send would make their lives better than when 
he was walking with them in the flesh. And I'm sure they didn't believe him when he said that. Just like our kids, right, don't believe when we say, oh, you know what, um, this is, you know, something unpleasant. This is for your own good. And they're like, mm-hmm, right, right. I am sure they're looking at Jesus like, mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, my life has been totally changed because of you. And you're telling me you're going to die, but this other helper is going to be more help than you are. But it was for their own good. It was absolutely for their own good. It was for their advantage that Jesus would leave and that God could send the Holy Spirit to his people, okay? So the question I always ask is, would you rather have walked and talked in the flesh with Jesus or would you rather live now with the Holy Spirit inside of you? And many times we're like, oh, man, would it have just been great to be in that boat and then you just calm the storm and then you just walk over like Peter and, I mean, you know, the Last Supper. I mean, can you imagine but Jesus says it's more advantageous for us to live now. It's more advantageous for us to live now in the era of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, than it would to live with Jesus bodily in those days on earth. Now think about that for a moment. Okay, on the Bible's authority, you and I right now, you and I right now are better off than those people who looked and ate and drank and walked with Jesus. We are. On the Bible's authority, that's what he says. Why is that so? Because the Holy Spirit coming makes things better for us than it did for Peter, than it did for James, than it did for John, for the disciples, and all those other others prior to Jesus' ascension because of the Holy Spirit coming. And the main reason is, thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, because he doesn't just walk alongside us. He lives in us. The person of the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Bible says that all Christ followers, okay, all followers of Christ are given the same precious gift of the Holy Spirit the moment that they ask Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sin. That they believe that he went to the cross for them. Oh yeah, he did it for the whole world, but he personally did it for me. And he forgave my sin. And when we believe that individually, personally, guess what? The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in us. The indwelling Holy Spirit. So right off the bat, I'm going to ask you, right tonight, where do you stand with Jesus tonight? Because quite frankly, this weekend isn't going to make a lot of sense to you unless you know where you stand with Jesus. He knows where you stand with him. He loves you. He's always calling you. Is he still just a teacher to you like the disciples when they're just walking alongside him? Or you have accepted the gift of forgiveness, what he did for you on the cross. And now he, by the Holy Spirit, lives in you. He lives in you. You have a choice. And there's no better time than to receive him now if you have not. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. You know how I know this? I know because I walked with Jesus as a teacher for years and years in my life. Since age eight, 
I was raised going to church, going to Sunday school, going to Pioneer Girls, going to Five Day Club, going to choir, attended Youth for Christ. Anytime the church doors were open, the Lance family was in. Anytime. Christian mom and dad, Christian sisters. I was sort of like a modern-day disciple, not a disciple like as in following Jesus, but one of the disciples who just walked alongside Jesus and hearing all the stuff. I heard all the stuff. I was always there, and I heard it. I saw miracles performed, okay? But not until the age of 31 did I come to a point that I really knew Jesus came to do more than teach. He's more than a teacher. He came to die. He came to take my sin. He came to make a relationship with God the Father that I could not because of my sinful self. He came to give himself as an ultimate sacrifice for me, not just to be a teacher of Nazareth. He is the Son of God who died and gave his life for me. And then he ascended. And then he sent another counselor, the Holy Spirit, who upon my acceptance of knowing Jesus personally and passionately and powerfully and now preeminently over my life, lives in me. And he can live in you too. So I'm going to ask you again, where do you stand with Jesus tonight? Where do you stand? Who is he to you? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Let's read that again. For by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we are all baptized into what? One body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And, and even though God's word has a great deal, you guys, to say about the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? It's still a subject that we tend to remain ignorant of or that we just don't delve into about. Or you know what, we have so many questions that we're sort of embarrassed about it. We really don't want to talk about it. So this weekend, we're going to continue to dig in. Most of us have a clear picture of God the Father, of his grace, of his love. Most of us have a high clarity of the understanding of God the Son, Jesus, and what he did for us. But our understanding of the Holy Spirit is usually vague. It's fuzzy at best. It's a book called Know What You Believe. It's by the late Paul Little. It's just a tremendous book. And in this classic little book, he, he writes this. Of the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit seems to be the least known and understood today. Yet he is most vitally and intimately involved in our initial conversion and birth into the family of God, as well as in the ongoing development of our Christian lives. Knowledge of an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit brings us power, joy, and hope. When we neglect him through ignorance or indifference, we ensure spiritual poverty. When we neglect him through ignorance or indifference, we ensure spiritual poverty. Now, why is it that so many of us know so little about this gift of God, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus promised in Acts 1? Open up for a minute to your Bibles to Acts 1, okay? 
In Acts 1, this is when Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. It's Acts 1, 4 and 5. And it reads, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This is Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then jump to eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So why is it that we know so little about the Holy Spirit? Well, you know what? I think there are a couple of reasons. First off, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we think, is difficult to understand. We think it's difficult to understand. And then many of us don't want to tackle the difficult anymore in life because there's enough difficult in life. So why try to understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? Okay? We think it's mysterious. We think it's elusive. Okay? We have raised a generation of people who favor the easy way. And they don't want to dig in anymore. They want to avoid the complex truths. And what happens is it's just like college or high school students. Instead of reading the whole book all the way through, like the classics, like the Iliad and the Odyssey or Moby Dick, just like I did, I got the cliff notes for it, right? That's what we tend to do. Or secondly, we know so little about the Holy Spirit because he's placed third in the Trinity. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And you know, anything that's placed third, well, you know what, that can't be that important. You know, you always remember the first place. Second place, well, sort of. Third place, not so much. And then thirdly, we neglect the Holy Spirit because there's this tendency to refer to the third person of the Trinity as an it. As an it. Many of us think of the Holy Spirit as a non-person. We think of him like a force of Star Wars or something. Right? We, we, we think of him nothing more than an impersonal force. And that is a misconception. That is not true that we are going to address this weekend. So then who really is the Holy Spirit? The first reference to the Holy Spirit comes from Genesis 1, verse 2. Read this with me. It's on the board. Ready? Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Who was hovering over the waters? Spirit of God. Who is that? Holy Spirit. Excellent. Okay, his influence is noted throughout the whole testament. Okay, the Holy Spirit is throughout the whole testament, Old Testament. Okay, but it's more pronounced, his influence is more pronounced in the life and ministry of Jesus. Finally, remember, after Jesus ascended to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father, right? In that place of power. He sent the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, right? To be our comforter. Okay, John 14, 26. Read this with me. But, ready? Up on the board. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything said to you. Whoa. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name. Do you see this? Both the Father and Son were involved in sending the Holy Spirit. Whom the Father will send in whose name? Jesus' name. Right? They were both involved in sending the Holy Spirit. We'll teach you just some things. All things. We'll teach you all things and we'll remind you of some of the things I mentioned to the disciples. No. We'll remind you of everything I have said to you. All, everything. Holy Spirit. Okay? Look at the next one. John 15, 26. I want you to read it again with me. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Okay? When the counselor, who's that? Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, who's I? Jesus will send from who? The Father, okay? The Spirit of truth, who's that? Holy Spirit, who goes out from the Father, will do what? Testify about Jesus, okay? Testify about Jesus, okay? The Greek word for comforter or counselor, okay, or helper is paraclete. P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E, paraclete, okay? Meaning the one called along beside. The one called along beside. It also means one who energizes, one who strengthens, one who empowers the believer in Christ. Okay? And so the Holy Spirit also came to witness to Jesus about Jesus Christ and to glorify him. Okay? Let's look at this verse. John 16, 13 and 14. Read with me again. I want you to read this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Okay. Now follow me on this. As Jesus had come to reveal, exalt, and glorify who? The Father. Okay? As Jesus had come to exalt reveal, and glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit was sent to reveal, exalt, and glorify Jesus, the Son. The Son, okay? So it logically follows that the more we allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives, the more we shall love and serve Jesus, okay? And the more we'll be conscious of his loving and abiding presence. Are you following me? Okay, listen closely. And then when we are led by the Spirit, remember the Spirit doesn't drive you. He doesn't whip you into shape. He leads you. We follow. Okay? It's a choice. When you're led by the Spirit, we are filled with Jesus. Okay? This is what the verse is saying. Thus, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, a power much greater than our own is released within and through us for victorious living, for joy, and a fruitful witness for the Savior. Are you following to see how that works? That's what happens. That's what happens in and through our lives. Without the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, we cannot experience power, joy, and the wonder of a supernatural life right here on earth. We don't receive the Holy Spirit and he comes to live in us just for heaven. Yes, he's a seal. Yes, he's a guarantee for us. We're going to learn all about that. But it's just not for heaven. It's for now. 
It's for living in power and joy now. As the Holy Spirit in and through us exalts, reveals Jesus Christ in and through us. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ in us. And that's what he wants to do in and through us. Without the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, you cannot experience the joy of living on that next plane, that supernatural plane that the Holy Spirit wants us to live in. So who is this Holy Spirit? And how is he related to all of us if we are believers? Okay? The first thing I want you to understand is the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not some force. He is a person. He's the third person of the living God. Okay? Let's look at John again. John 14, 16, and 17. I want you to read this once again with me. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you what? Another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Okay, notice, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as what? Him. You see the big hymns that come out? Him. Okay, the world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he lives with you and will be where? And will be in you, okay? Numerous texts in the word of God show that the Holy Spirit does things that only a person would do. He's not some vague, ethereal, magic, ghost kind of, impersonal force, okay? He is a distinctive personality. He is a person. He is just like you and me, except he's God. Specifically, he has knowledge or intellect, he has a will, and he has emotion. He has mind, he has will, and he has emotion. Just like we do. We're made up of mind, will, and emotion, just like we are, okay? He has infinite intellect. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 2.11, read with me again. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who knows the thoughts of God? The Spirit of God, okay? The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God, okay? And the Holy Spirit imparts knowledge to you, okay, and to me, so the Holy Spirit's not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person with infinite intellect, infinite knowledge, and secondly, he has a will. He has a will, okay? Let's look at this. The Apostle Paul is talking about this as the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, he says, ready? All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one, what? Just as he determines, okay? That's the key. How does he give us our spiritual gifts? As I want them? I want this. I want that. Does he give them as I want them? No, just as what? He determines. The Holy Spirit determines it, okay? It's, it's the fact that he has a will. The Holy Spirit makes decisions. 
He's making decisions in you right now. He's not a power to be harnessed. He's not a power to be manipulated. We don't take him and tell him what to do, okay? To tap into the Holy Spirit is not to enhance your ability to carry out your will. Ever do that? Oh, yeah. Right? To carry out your will. No, that's not what happens. The power of the Holy Spirit is available only to us when we want to carry out his will. We don't tap into his power and say, I'm going to do this. No, we listen and surrender and listen to him. And he leads and we follow because we want to carry out his will. We want to carry out his will. He, not me, not you, decides what spiritual gifts I get. He's not our servant. He is our guide. He's the one that decides. So he has infinite intellect, he has a will, and then lastly, he has emotions. The Holy Spirit has feelings. Did you ever think about that? He has feelings. The Holy Spirit in you has feelings. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he referred to the love of the Spirit. Romans 15, 30. Once again, read with me. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me, okay? The letter of the church, okay, what is he saying? What is he saying? By the what? Love of the Spirit. Love is what? An emotion, right? By the love of the Spirit. He has emotion. And then in the letter to the church of Ephesus, he says this, and what? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Love and grief are what? They're emotions. Do you have love and grief? Absolutely. They are emotions. Not only does the Holy Spirit then have a personality, right? He has a mind, will, and emotions, infinite intellect in his mind, will, and emotions. We have to remember that he possesses all the divine attributes of God because he is God. He is God the third person in the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, okay? He is equal in every way to the Father. He is equal in every way to the Son because he is God the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 8, 29, it says that the Holy Spirit speaks. He commands. And in this text, he tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay there, okay? And, and because Philip obeyed the Holy Spirit... He obeyed the Holy Spirit, the commands of the person of the Holy Spirit. That day, a man with great influence in the Ethiopian government became a believer, became a Christian, because Philip obeyed the person of the Holy Spirit in him that said, hey, guess what? You need to go over here. You need to do this. And he obeyed. How sweet is that? Acts 8.29. <laughs> Several passages of scripture say that the Holy Spirit does the work of a person. Does the work of a person. He testifies. He comforts. He reproves. He helps. He guides. He enables. I want you to look at Romans 8.26, where it says that the Holy Spirit is praying for us, saying, read with me. We... 
not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with what? <laughs> with groans that words cannot express. Okay, he prays for you. He prays for me. The, the Holy Spirit, God, prays for me. Put your mind around that. God's praying for you. He's praying for you right now. He intercedes for you. God Almighty is praying for us. And he's inside of us. And then the Bible also teaches that the Holy Spirit can be quenched or in other words, stifled. He can be stifled. When you look at 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, you can say to the Holy Spirit like you would say to me or any person, Be quiet. Stop talking to me. Many times in our home, we say it way more kindly than that, but Tori our seventh grader can really chitter-chatter. And I mean, never stops. I don't know if she's just talking to herself or, you know, whatever, and she never stops. And numerous times, we'll just say, no more. No more, hon. Just, we're going to just be quiet now. We're just going to stop now, hon. We're just going to stop. Well, we can say to the Holy Spirit, you know what? Be quiet. Stop talking to me. You know, have you ever said, you know, Lord, I don't want to hear any more about, like, my bitterness, okay? I don't want to hear any more about this relationship. I don't want to hear any more about this grudge that I have. I don't want to hear any more about my selfishness. I don't want to hear any more about my overspending. I don't want to hear any more about me demanding my own rights. I don't want to hear any more about my self-hate. I don't want to hear any more about blank, whatever it is. You know, quit telling me I should just confess it and let it go. Or you say to him, Lord, you know what? Stop telling me to go and share you with this woman in the cubicle next to me. Stop telling me I need to go teach a Sunday school class or a cell group. Stop telling me that. Get off my case when it comes to like witnessing to my neighbor. In your attitude, in your action, in your words, in your voice, that's how you quench the Holy Spirit. That's how you stifle him. If you've ever done that, you have quenched the Holy Spirit. You have stifled him. Something that you would not do to an it. That can only happen because the Holy Spirit is the person of God who lives in you when you've come to know Jesus as your Savior. So the Holy Spirit is not this impersonal force. Okay, He's not this genie in a bottle. Okay, he is a person. He is the person of God. And I want you to look at this, and I'll read this. Dr. R.A. Torrey, he was this Amer amazing American evangelist uh, back in 1894. He knew D.L. Moody, who did Moody Bible Church, and he was one of the first uh, presidents of Moody Bible Institute, and he was a pastor at Moody Bible Church years ago, 1894 in Chicago, and he says this. 